Are you happy today? Yeah, it's amazing what 20 degrees can make a difference in your life, eh? We're talking about the highway to happiness. Because I think everyone wants to live a happy life, right? And, and to, to be blessed in that sense of the biblical term. And, and, and we do many things to try to find happiness in life. And, and Jesus, in his first sermon that he gives to his disciples, that's recorded in the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew, a first century eyewitness and companion of Jesus, he says, here is the highway to happiness, the pathway to blessing. It's an unexpected pathway. That we find happiness in, in, in places that you didn't think you would find happiness. And that's what Jesus lays out in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount. It's found in Matthew chapter 5. And we do have the verses up here. But let me just set the stage again for, for this these highway to happiness. It says in five verse 1 of Matthew chapter 5 verse 1, When he saw the crowds, he went up the mountain. After he sat down, his disciples came to him. And then he began to teach them by saying... Blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to them. Those people who have gotten to the end of their rope, who realize that they can't fix this problem they have and, and, and come to God in faith, yeah, there, there, there's, there, there's an opportunity to experience the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. We talked about that last week, right? That, that the, happy are the unhappy. Happy are the people that realize that they have a, a, a sinful condition and that they live in a sinful world and that God provides comfort to, to individual sinners who come to him in faith, but also to us, through us, to the world to bring comfort to those that need to be comforted. Blessed are those who mourn. And then lastly, here we go today. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. It would be good to memorize these. Now, normally I would preach a, a section of a, of, a, you know, of, a, of a chapter and we would go through probably all, all eight of these or nine of these and once and, and you would go home and forget them all. And so what I've done is I'm, we're stopping and we're pulling the eggs out of the carton and we're examining the egg. We're looking around and looking all over it, you know, and, and then we're going to put it back in. So each week we take another egg out of the carton and we're, we're going to work through these Beatitudes slowly. It's not my normal way of preaching, but I think you wouldn't apply these to your life if I just ran them through it in one big list. But we stop and we say poor in spirit, mourning, and now meek. We have to kind of stop. And, and so this is a different approach. I'm going to use some quotes again today just so you can maybe copy them or take a notes. And just to help you to see what does it mean to be meek. Now, maybe you're like me. And like meekness brings an image to your mind. One of the first things I thought of was this image here. You know, precious moments. You know, this is like some porcelain thing that's on grandma's end table, right? That you're worried about knocking over when you're playing in her living room, right? So, you know, teardrop eyes, you know, little, little you know, you know. I mean, these aren't the people you're hiring to coach your hockey team, right? You know, the meek, right? Or, or maybe if you were, grew up in the 80s and 90s, meekness was this, right? You know, uh, you know, this scrawny kid that, you know, gets pushed around a little bit. Or if you're from the more current generation, uh, the wimpy kid, right? There he is, right? Uh, the diary of a wimpy kid, right? We think of meekness is weakness, right? Meek is this sort of quiet, nerdy, geeky, forgotten person that has no influence, and it's just always dwelling in the shadows, insecure, uncertain, meek. Pushover, the guy, the guy in the, you know, the shop that's always getting dumped on the crappy jobs and all this stuff. And is that what it means to be meek? Jesus said, yeah, be that, that kid on the playground that's always, you know, you know, picked last for every game. And, you know, is this what it means to be meek? Back to the verse, Matthew 5, 5, it says, um, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. 
sparkly in his commentary. He talks about kind of three angles of, of meekness. That, that way that word was used in, in the first century. And in fact, earlier, Aristotle, who wrote in Greek, so that we, we can compare his writings to, to the New Testament to understand how words were used in the same period of time, and, and it, more or less. And, and, and he talked about how th- there's different types of anger. There's like this word that describes like the hot-headed, you know, blow the steam off, always getting angry person. You know, and then there was another word for anger, which described the person that never got angry. You know, you could bug them and bug them and pester them and pester them, and they just don't, they don't ever get worked up. And then Aristotle said, you know, but it's, it's the middle of that. It's a person that, that, that can, can step over here when they need to and can step over here when they need to. That, that is the meek or the gentle person. He said, anyone can be angry. That is easy. That's easy. But to be angry with the right person, to the right degree, for the right purpose, and in the right way, this is not easy. And so Barclay would say, this is how you describe meekness, or this beatitude. Blessed is the man, it should be up there, who is always angry at the right time, and never angry at the wrong time. It's knowing when to, to, to you know, turn up the heat and when to turn it down. Like, like, it's what we call righteous anger. Like, meekness doesn't mean that you, you never show emotion, just that you know how to control it and how to, how to respond in the right way at the right time for the right person. And so, so that, that's an aspect of being meek. But in the first century, they would also describe this term gentle or meek as a, a well-trained domestic animal. And even in the southern states, it would say, you know, it's the meek horse that wins races. Well, it's not, that doesn't mean it's like the wimpy horse or the quiet horse, the horse that doesn't have any spirit to him. It means that it's the horse that's well-trained, that knows how to respond and how to kick it in when, when you know, when the jockey gives him the signals and how to slow up when he, when he tells him to slow up. I mean, it's the well-trained horse. This is what Barclay would say. He said, blessed is the man who has every instinct, every impulse, every passion under control. Blessed is the man who's entirely self-controlled. And later in the quote, he'll say, but, but ultimately we know that it's more than just self-control. It's God's control in our life. And, and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, his death, resurrection, you're given the Holy Spirit. And the, the Holy Spirit produces in you, cultivates in you the character of, character of Christ, which comes out in meekness. This self-controlled, a power under control kind of life. But there's also a third side to this meekness in the, in the, in the ancient Greek. You know, it, it was the opposite of this word they had for being high-hearted. It was this person that kind of had, had a, a humble and, and an appropriate understanding of themselves. You know how it is when you watch like a post-game interview after whatever your favorite sport is, hockey, football, basketball, you know, there are some athletes that are just like, oh yeah, I was like, on oh, man, the, I carried the team on my shoulders, but it wasn't for me, we wouldn't have won that game. And then there's other guys that get up there, or girls, and are like, you know, I just want to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, you know, or I'm, I'm blessed God me and I'm just playing with these things he's given me and you're like, well, it's quite a contrast, right? So this is the idea of this, this appropriate understanding of a true humility. And Barclay would say this, blessed is the man who has the humility to know his own ignorance, his own weakness, his own need. So you get a picture of meekness. Not necessarily weakness, but this, you know, this controlled anger, this self-God control, and then this true humility. Now, for Canadians, this is natural for us. 
I mean, just look at our sports teams, right? We are, we are a meek country, right? So you think about like, like the Edmonton Oilers. That, that's not a really a vicious or a aggressive image, is it, right? Or the, you know, and high mighty ducks. I mean, that's down in the States. But in you know, Canada, we, we have like the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Which is a, a classic Canadian symbol, but it, it doesn't inspire you to, you know, to victory. It's like, let's go have pancakes, right? You know, that's what, you know Maple Leaf, like it's, it's not like a, yeah, fight, win, battle. You know, it's not like predators or... Or, you know, like the Canucks, right? Like, what is a Canuck, right? I was like, what, what is that? Like, you know, what does that actually mean? And then in 2007, they added the Orca to their, to their, um, to their, to their sea so that, it, you know, it has like a little more bite to it. And now it actually has like a, the Canucks, like, yeah, you know, go eat some seals and salmon, you know, like, there you go, you know. So, so you know, but, but typically Canadians are not, are very meek. Like, we're not like, we're not putting ourselves out there. We're not, you know, when, when world conflicts happen now in the world, they're not calling Canadian government. Uh, to be at the, at the first table of, of discussions. Why? Because we're, you know, we're meek. We don't really have much to offer. Well, you know, we'll send a few, you know, 1950s planes with some supplies to you or whatever. Like, that's Canada, right? We're meek. But the image is not just, you know, weakness. It's power under control. And, of course, I have this quote from... Sanders, he says, meekness is the attitude that does not always insist on its own rights and having its own way. It's willing to say, you know, I don't need to be the, the number one person in, in this room. I don't need to have the final word in this conversation. I don't need to always be right. Some of you understand that. Some of you don't understand that. Some of you maybe struggle with that. I need to always be right. I need to always have people agree with me. But meekness says, you know what? There's people going to disagree with me. That's okay. I know what I believe. I know why I believe it. I have a right to this, but I'm not going to push it. You know, meekness is when you go to the restaurant and, and they blow it. And you want to just like give it to them because like I'm paying money for this and you're not serving it well and it's coming out cold and you don't know. But meekness says, okay, how do I respond? Because maybe it's not the server's fault. Maybe it's not the cook's fault. Maybe it's, you know, like who knows? And, and maybe, is it going to really help them if you ride them? You know, meekness is finding a way to navigate that without ticking everyone off and you feeling embarrassed in the, in the end of it, right? That's meekness. Lord Jones has said, meekness denotes a humble and gentle attitude to others, which is determined by a true estimate of ourselves. Jesus said, you know, you're poor in spirit, you're mourning your sin, and now you're meek. You're you're adopting the the, the perspective of Jesus, that you know who you are and and, and how you are. And, you know, when when we're really honest about that, it helps us to have a, a gracious perspective towards others. The reality is that Jesus was meek. He was gentle. He modeled this for us. And in Matthew's gospel, he uses this same word in two other locations to help us to understand this, the context of of him using this word meek or gentle in in the gospel of Matthew. First is in Matthew 11, verse 28, where Jesus says, Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am gentle. You see that? Same word, meek and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus like, you're carrying a burden in life, and it's, it's, it's killing you. 
Maybe some of you are here today or you're watching online because I'm carrying this burden in life and, and, and I don't see it. it just, it's, it's weighing me down and there's got to be a better way. And you're here today because you're looking, is there a better way? And, and I'm telling you, Jesus is that better way. But he is the one who's willing to take, take your yoke and then you could take his yoke upon you and let, you know, carry, carry the burden that he puts on your shoulders, which is he replaces it. I'll take your burden of sin. I'll take the burden of, of your guilt and your shame. And you can walk in, in the burden of my righteousness, which is way better. And you'll find this rest for your soul. Jesus is gentle. And then in Matthew 21, this is a quote from the, gospel, from the book of Zechariah. When, when Jesus is coming into Jerusalem, he's riding this donkey. And he's fulfilling this scripture which says, Tell daughter Zion, see your com- king is coming to you gentle and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so Jesus is riding into Jerusalem. Uh, when a king would enter a city, you know, on a war path, he'd be, you know, drive, riding a stallion or some big war horse with armor and swords pulled out. But, but here's Jesus riding a donkey, a symbol of peace. Hardly, you know, an imposing image, right? It's just, you know, Jesus riding a donkey. You know, it's kind of a ignoble picture, right? But it's like, I'm humble, I'm gentle. My mission is not to come and destroy your life. My mission is to come into your life and establish peace. And a lot of people are, are, are afraid of Jesus. Like, oh, he's going to destroy my life. And Jesus like, I'm not riding in with a double-edged sword and a big lance and trying to like, spear you and skewer you to the ground or knock you. I'm coming on a donkey, gentle, meek. So sometimes we think, okay, Jesus wants all Christians to just be these, this passive Never speaking up, always taking the, the licks that come your way and just never saying anything. Because that's the way Jesus was, super calm, always under control and, and never, you know. And, and of course, that's not the biblical picture. Like I have a first picture here. John 2.15, Jesus walks into the temple. And he discovers that the house of prayer, the place of worship, the sacred place of God's people has turned into like a bazaar, a marketplace, a, a farmer's market, so to speak, right? And, and people are changing money. They're, they're, they're profiting off of religion, which she's like, I can't believe it. He says he builds, he makes this whip, and he begins to whip things around. Woof, woof, meek Jesus. Cracking the whip in the temple. Why? Because he's like, you have violated the very character of, of my father. <laughs> And then it says he goes and he's, you know, up change, you know, the, the, the throwing the coins around for the guys that would exchange money, which they, of course, they're always taking advantage of the poor people. And also he says he was tipping over tables. Now, why had a prof in seminary was like, well, you know, you don't have to be angry to tip over a table. You know, you could have just went and, you know, kind of, whoop, whoop, you know, like, is, is that the image you get when it says he says he made a whip and began to clear out that it's a temple? No, this is the meek Jesus. And he's saying, in this moment, this is the appropriate level of anger that I need to express because you have turned this place of sacred prayer and worship into a den of thieves. Okay. The second image I have is this one here. There's meek Jesus sitting in a death-defying storm. The experienced nautical fishermen of the Sea of Galilee are ready to die, and they're calling for Jesus to help. But don't you care, Jesus? Of course they care. He gets up, and he's like, okay, storm, stop it. Basically, literally, uh, be quiet, calm down, and boom. So, so there's the meek Jesus confronting an aggressive storm, and with just simple words and command, boom, it quiets down. 
instantly. Now, like I said in the first service, like some of you are, are water people. And you know when you go, you know, skiing and wakeboarding and all that stuff, like, you know, it just gets choppy. You get multiple boats out there and it never calms down, right? It's always just chop, 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 chop. I grew up in Shushwap and that was just the reality of Shushwap Lake when, when all the Albertans got their boats out there. It was just a mess, you know, there's waves everywhere and, and it takes a long time to finally calm down, right? But Jesus gets up, the meek Jesus, it says, be quiet, calm down, and boom. Napoleon said this. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and myself have founded empires, but upon what did, what did we rest the creation of our genius? Upon force. And they've crumbled into dust. Jesus Christ has founded his empire upon love. And at this moment, millions of men would die for him. Napoleon Bonaparte. Amazing. The meek Jesus. Of course, meekness, power under control, is illustrated on the cross. If you read the gospel story, it's a tragic story. A perfect man, a loving person, the guy who does everything for everyone else gets, gets betrayed, gets arrested, gets beaten, gets mocked, gets stripped down, gets you know, whipped, and he gets nailed to a, to a hunk of wood like a common criminal. You're like, what kind of story is this? It's a story of meekness. Because the eternal Son of God has the power in that moment to destroy everyone who's touching him. I mean, Pilate, the, the power of the day in, in Jerusalem is like, don't you know who I am? And she's like, don't you know who I am? Like, you wouldn't be where you are if it wasn't for me. You know, if we wouldn't have let you be there, Jesus, you know, Jesus is telling him. And, and Pilate's like, I, I, I've never met a guy like this. Why? Because it was the like meekness in action. And of course, meekness was manifested on the cross power under control. He's like, I am surrendering to this. Why? Because this is my Father's will, and this is our plan for salvation. Meekness. The old hymn would say, he could have called 10,000 angels. Yeah, he could have. He could have said, okay, I'm done with this. Deliver me. And boom, you know, it would have been like, you know, nuclear war or whatever. You know, he could have, but he didn't. Why? Because he wanted to accomplish for us what we couldn't accomplish for ourselves. Salvation. He died on the cross so that our sins and the penalty for our sins would be, would be carried there so that we don't have to carry them. But what happens to the meek people? It says in Matthew 5, 5, that they will inherit the earth. What does that mean, inherit the earth? Um, France would say the focus on, is on the principle of the reversal of fortunes rather than on specific inheritance. It's a reality in the kingdom, everything is turned upside down. The, the last are first, the first are last. Uh, children in the first century had no value. You know, they were seen and not heard. It was a nice era, you know. And there they were, you know. And, and Jesus is like, hey, if you want to be greatest in the kingdom, become like a child. And like, what are, you, what are you talking about, Jesus? You will inherit the earth. It's an understanding from... Psalm 37, which I read earlier, it says, but the meek will inherit the earth and the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. It's a physical inheritance that, that comes in, in a reality of, of life today, but it's also a spiritual inheritance. And Peter would write in 1 Peter 1, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. By his great mercy, he's given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. That is into an inheritance imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. It's reserved in heaven for you who by God's power are protected through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. There's a lot in there. But what Peter's trying to tell you is like, you know, here's a bunch of Christians in Asia Minor getting beat up in, 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 the, in the end of the first century. And he's like, look, 
You may not have much in this world, but there is something good and better coming. Because of your faith in Jesus Christ, you have this, this inheritance. It's not going to fade. It's not going to spoil. It's not like grandma's ring that you inherited that you know, gets tarnished or, or some piece of furniture that falls apart or that car that eventually you know, doesn't run. I mean, you're inheriting something that, that doesn't defile, doesn't fade, doesn't perish. And God's saving the ultimate end of your salvation for this glorification when everything will be made right. And you'll, you'll join his eternal kingdom and enjoy life. And when you have that hope, it gives you that sense of peace right now. So it is inheritance for the presence in a sense of like, I don't, I don't le- live my life based on what happens here and now in terms of, do I have enough? Will I have enough? What am I going to do? do I, you know, am I going to survive? But I, I'm looking ahead to the future where God is going to give me this internal inheritance. And I realize I just need to trust him day by day. And I don't need to worry about what's going on around me. I don't need to live in fear. I don't need to live you know, with, with despondency or depression. I, I can just look ahead and, and trust in that living hope because of Jesus is risen from the dead. And that's the inheritance that we have. Wiersbe says this, when you are meek, you seek nothing for yourself. And when you seek nothing for yourself, God gives you all things. Meekness is the secret of possessing everything. Mounts would say this, only the meek have the capacity to enjoy in life all those things that provide genuine and lasting satisfaction. If you've traveled to the third world and watch happy people enjoy life, and then you come back to Canada, you're like, huh, interesting. They don't have all the toys. They don't have the big stuff. You know, they don't have those exotic vacations. They, they, they don't have the massive house. And yet, and yet there's this simplicity and this, this beauty and this, this wonderfulness of them sharing a meal together and sharing stories and, and sharing life. And their kids don't have all the, the PlayStations and this and that and all that stuff that, they, that you can have. And the, the dads don't have all these, you know, two and three, four-wheel things in their garages. But, but there's just this deep happiness. You're like, wait a second. You know, it's like when you go camping, right? And sometimes there's that family that, that is camping on a budget. You know, they've got the tent, right? And, and some borrowed camping equipment and, you know, Walmart sleeping bags, you know. And then, they, you know, they're just kind of putting it together. They got a cooler with some ice packs. And, and then you got like the, you know, the 50-foot, you know, motorhome with, you know, the boat behind. And, you know, and these, these people. And, and you look at their degree of happiness and you're like, it's amazing how these people are often having a better time than the guy that's got everything, or girl that's got everything, or family that's got everything. According to Oxfam, 62, a year ago, 62 people controlled half of the wealth of the world. And this year, eight people do. Six of those eight are Americans, four come from the American tech community, and, and we think, oh man, they, 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 are, they are in control of everything. In fact, they want to be in control. Why? Because the wealthier you get, the more frustrating it is because you know that your wealth will not live on after you live on. And, and, you know, so, 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 so instead of just amassing wealth, they want to now start to, to influence the world. And so we have people that are like, like they're, they're tech people, but they're, they're making comments about climate change, or they're making comments about health, or about, you know, this and that, stuff that they've never studied, never researched. Many of them aren't even graduates of university, but they're trying to tell the world, this is what needs to happen for the world to become a better place, because well, they want their legacy and, their, and, and all their ideology to follow them, to live on after them, but it dies with them. Of course, Jesus' ideology and legacy lives on. Why? Because he lives on. Do you see the difference? 
And for centuries, you know, Vikings have been burying, you know, their, their, you know, their ships and their, all their stuff. And the, the Egyptian pharaohs were burying all this stuff in the, in the tombs because they're thinking, oh, I'm going to take it with me to the afterlife. And guess what? We find it. They didn't get it there, right? It stayed here, right? None of the stuff you get will go on after you. He says, the meek inherit the earth. Maybe you've been trying to do and accumulate the wrong things. Maybe you've bought into a lie that someone has told you. Tony Evans says, God has placed on deposit a plethora of promises for you and me to inherit when we live according to his kingdom values. We come to faith in Jesus Christ and God opens up the door to this, to this reality of, of our salvation, of inheritance. He says, and there's blessings right now in this world and then there's this eternal blessing awaiting you. And it's yours, it's on deposit, just go get it. And some of us don't want to get it. We want to just kind of live in our own reality. And he would say this too, Tony Evans, gentleness is like a key that unlocks the door of your destiny or meekness. When you embrace this, suddenly you find out, oh, God actually has a plan and I can discover that plan and that plan brings me fulfillment, happiness, blessing. Charles Price says this, it is the person who has faced their spiritual poverty, who mourns that poverty, who submits themselves meekly to Jesus Christ on earth, who discovers what life on earth is all about. Every human being living on earth has a blueprint for their lives compiled in heaven. It's the next slide, please. Every human being living on earth has a blueprint for their lives compiled in heaven. You know, God brings the Israelites out of Egypt. He shows them all these plagues in Egypt. He walks them through dry land through the Red Sea. He leads them by pillar fire at night, a pillar cloud by day. He, he does all these things. Water pours out of the rock. You know, quail come in, you know, man in the wilderness, all this stuff. And yet they refuse to submit to his leadership. They refuse to accept his leading in their life. And as a result, they miss out on the inheritance. God's like, yeah, all you old people, forget it. You don't want me? I don't want you. You're going to die in the wilderness. I'm starting afresh with a new generation. They could have just walked into the promised land, but they said, no, no, we don't want it. We want it our way. We want it our way. We want it our way. And they miss out. Do you, can you see that? When you want it your way, you miss out. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. God has a blueprint for you. He has an opportunity for you. He has his best for you. And you can follow that. You can embrace it. You can accept it. You can discover happiness. Or you can say, I don't like that. I'm going to do my own thing. So we'll talk about that here in a moment. Here's my considerations. Uh, the first is this. The highway to happiness is full of gracious and considerate drivers. It's not like driving in Lloydminster, right? So everyone here is gracious and considerate on the highway to happiness, right? When you got to merge, they let you in, right? When, you, know, if, you know, if someone cuts you off, they don't, you, know, you don't see single digits. Why? Because you're just not in a rush. There's this graciousness and consideration that comes with those who walk in this meek lifestyle. So, so I'm just saying this, is, this shows up in new life. We drive graciously and considerately alongside each other in life. 
And we choose not to cut each other off or hurt each other or, you know, steal someone else's parking spot because we're, we're gracious and considerate. Because that's an extension of our meekness or our gentleness that, that comes when we follow Jesus Christ. And so I'm using this, this, this metaphor of the highway just so you get it, right? So, so everyone, I mean, this is a joy. When you drive on a highway like this where everyone's following the rules and doing what they're supposed to be doing. Um, I was in Calgary in December, and it was like, oh, so nice to be on a place where people know how to merge. You know, and it's kind of going fast and squeezing in, and people are letting you in. You know, it's like, yeah, this is awesome, you know. And so this is the highway to happiness. All that our families would be like this. Our marriages would be like this. And in the church, that we would just model this, gracious and considerate. Second, there are no hotheads on the highway to happiness, okay? So if you got road rage, you're not driving in the meek lane right now, okay? If, if, you, if you can't control that and you, you try to, or you excuse it, um, if you give that apology, I'm sorry, but, no, no, doesn't work. You own your anger. You can't blame your anger on other people's behavior. You own what is yours. There are no hotheads on the highway to happiness. Like I said, there, there's time to get angry. There's time, you know, and to know how far you can get angry, not to get angry. But, you know, there are no hotheads on the highway to happiness. Why? Because that's not the expression of meekness that Jesus invites us to here. If anger is one of your issues, because it's a control issue, right? You, you lose control and you get angry. Uh, certain personalities struggle with this because they're control freaks. All of us are control freaks at some level. But on the highway to happiness and the meek and gentle posture that we assume in following Jesus, we realize that, oh, I'm not actually in, in control that much. And the things I do control, I, you know, I, I, I can be patient in my control of those. And I can, I can love the people around me. And so there are no hotheads on the highway to happiness. I, I'm trying to make these sort of pithy so you can remember them maybe and, uh, you know, tweet them later, whatever the case may be. So number three. <clears throat> Travelers on the highway to happiness always ask for and accept directions. I encouraged the congregation on December 31st, and I, I repeat it. The value of spending time every day in God's Word. Some of you are going to read through the Word from cover to cover, and that's okay, and that's good if you can do that. You don't have to do that. There's no, like, Bible verse saying, read the Bible chronologically every year. Like, but it's a good habit to do at least once in your life, and maybe some people do it every year. And you need to do what, what, you know, whatever works for you and your personality. But, but what everyone needs to do is to spend time in God's Word. Why? Because this is where we get the directions. This is the navigational key to life. And the reason that some of you are in the ditch or, we're, or you're not progressing forward in your life is because you're getting directions from somewhere else. If you're not following God's word, you're following words that aren't from God. You're like, oh, I'm, I'm just kind of taking neutral. No, you're, you're taking messages from someone. And you're making those your navigational key. You're, you're writing your map based on, on, on what you've heard from someone else. And you're seeking to find happiness along a journey that, that leads to nowhere. But travelers on this highway can stop and say, you know, I think I need to make a course correction. And that's what happens when you read the Bible. Uh, it's really annoying because the Holy Spirit says, yeah, you're not really doing that, are you? You're like, yeah, I'm not. And then you, you, you mourn your sin, you repent, and then you meekly accept his direction, his, you know, his instruction, and you follow him. That's how it works. And when you do that, you become more like Jesus and less like your old self. And God is inviting all of us to find direction, navigation from his word, to ask for and to accept direction. 
Maybe you're like, I don't need no directions. I'm fine. I'll figure it out. You know, it's like, you know, the, the guy who's getting lost all the time. His wife's told him the right way to go five times, but he's not going to take it, right? Not going to take it. Not going to take it. But God's like, I know how this works. Because why? Because I made you. I created this whole thing. So, so just take my word. Trust in me. And you will find the way to happiness. You ask for directions and take advice. And lastly, the highway to happiness is a hoot. That's really tweetable, I thought. So, just, you know, there we go. It's a good thing. Like, this inheritance that God has for you and me is wonderful. The life with Jesus is intended to be a great life. You're not surrendering, like, a, a good life to settle for, like, a horrible, awful life and the suffering life, the moaning life. Jesus is like, no, this is a happy life that I'm offering you here. It's a hoot. You think that you can pick a better way for yourself. That's people's problem for centuries. I know the best way to have a great life. But the highway to happen is to say, no, I actually don't know the best way. He knows the best way. And in that poverty of spirit, you mourn your sin and you embrace the path of meekness, which is saying, okay, teach me, Lord. I trust in you. I hold on to your, 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 your direction and I'm taking your advice. And you discover, oh, Actually, God's way is way more fulfilling, happy, blessed than all the stuff I used to do before. And maybe today you are needed to take that step into the highway of happiness and to believe in Jesus Christ and that he died on the cross, rose again, and, and invites you to, to experience life at a different level, the level of true happiness in relationship through Jesus Christ, having the Holy Spirit in your life, and then, yeah, you know, walking and discovering meekness, and oh, God's got a plan, and, and this inheritance, and, it, and it's a blessing now, and it's a blessing in the future, and wow, and all the stuff that's going on in the world don't bother me anymore, because I just know that God's got a plan, and I'm doing my part of his plan for right now, and things go bad around me, but I'm, I'm like, okay, it's okay, God's going God's to work this out, and he does, and he always will. Let's step forward in meekness. I'm going to invite the team up here if you guys would come. And Billy Graham said this of Eric Liddell, who was the Chariots of Fire guy. You know, he was an Olympic medal, gold medalist and also a, a missionary. He was in a, a camp for uh, foreigners in China during the Second World War. He died there, actually. But it was said this of Eric Liddell. He was ridiculously humble in victory, and utterly generous in defeat. I mean, he was a fierce competitor. He loved running, loved racing, but, you know, when he won, he was humble. When he lost, he was generous. Why? Because he was a follower of Jesus Christ. He figured out how meekness worked in everyday life. And may we, too, find what that means for our lives. As we are poor in spirit, as we mourn our sin, and now as we seek to embrace this meekness, this gentleness of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we close? If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, I invite you to believe in him this morning. Maybe you feel the Holy Spirit tugging at your heart, saying, come and just know me. Come and join the highway to happiness, which starts with a relationship with Jesus Christ. And maybe as a believer, you've been walking on your own highway. You, you, you believe Jesus died, rose again, but you, you've been walking your own path. Today, God's like, get back to my path. Come, come back and discover life and happiness. Take that meek attitude, gentle attitude, and just, just learn and follow me. 
discover the best life ever, the life that I have for you through my son. If you're a believer today, maybe you just need to just recommit your life. Say, Lord, I, I've been doing the wrong things. I've been on the wrong path. I'm starting afresh today with you again. And Lord, may we have opportunities to be gentle, to be meek in our relationships and interactions this week, that Jesus Christ may be glorified in our life. We pray this in his name. Amen. Would you stand with the team as we close?